Good morning, everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. Please stand as we enter into worship.
Take a moment to greet those around you. Good morning, La Jolla Community Church. This is my second round. I should, <laughs> I think I should do better this time. So um, my name is Tantiani Badiman. I am a director of Eastgate Christian Preschool. They operate here in your backyard. Did you know that? <laughs> it operates uh, five days a week, eight hours a day or 11 hours a day. It depends on the hour that you choose. And uh, we have 20 staff. You, we, you will hear a little bit, a little bit uh, when Steve interviewed me. Make it more fancy, right? So, anyway, um, we have several events in our church uh, this month that we would like to, you to know about um, our event. One of the things that I love about working here that we have an opportunity to provide, you know, not just event, but also an opportunity for people to connect get to know one another, to know what is happening within our church, what is happening within our preschool. One of those things that, it hap you know, that will happen that provide the opportunity is a movie night. Show, show me your hand if you were here for the last Friday movie night. Some of you, there you go. If you miss, don't worry, we will have another one on August 30th. That's the last one for the summer. 
the title for the movie is Ugly Dolls. You might be wondering, what kind of movie is that? Why do I want to watch that movie? You know, but anyway, it's a story about plus um, toys that is different than others that trying to fit in. One way or another in our life, you know, we feel different and we're trying to fit in. And we do not know if we belong somewhere, you know. But if you make that conversation with one another, you will see, hey, I fit in here. I belong here. Uh, we live in Texas for about six years. My son did not know at that time he was three years old. He did not know that he is Asian until I took him back to Indonesia. At the airport, he told me, Wow, there are a lot of mummies here. <laughs> he did not realize that he was Asian. Anyway. <laughs> but if you, you know, just ask about who are you? What's your name? Where are you from? Make that conversation. You never know. It will lead you somewhere. This church provides those kind of opportunity for you to connect. So come to our last movie night on August 30th. And it's all church picnic. So pack your lunch or dinner. Bring a blanket, bring your neighbor, bring your friends, and grow as a church. The second one is, um, before I forget, when you came in, you received this bulletin like this. Inside, there is a prayer card. We love to pray for you. Write down your name. If you have a specific request, you can write down and write your prayer. We would love to pray for you. We have Staff that pray all week long, ladies that come here every Tuesday to pray for you. I know God is doing something great, and miracles happen every day. I work in this church. I've seen different kind of people walk in through our preschool door. And you know what? Not all of them are believers. But when they walk in, not one or two people, you know what? They were saved. They are safe. They see how we build that connection, how we provide the, the family in here. It's not necessarily Christian. You don't have to be Christian to walk into this place. But you know what? God is at work. So don't forget to write your prayer request either for you or for your friends. If you have teenager, middle school, or high school students, we will have lock-in. You know what lock-ins means, right? Playing Roman and Christians. It's just a fancy name for hide-and-seek. <laughs> but, you know, this, uh, it's a safe environment for your kids to get connect with other Christians. Teenager, you never know where they might end up. I'm one of those kids who are safe during um, youth event. So bring your son, your grandson, your children, your neighbor. Send them here. They don't have to be a church member. Bring them here. Get them plugged in, connected, and grow with the body of Christ. And uh, more information is in your bulletin, or you can check the website and contact Ryan Sylvia for the detail. Um, I think that's it, right? That's your cue. Tan, thank you. I want to interview Tan. <clears throat> By the way, I just discovered that I am Asian because Asian people love to eat, they love to talk, and they love to laugh. So I love to eat, I love to talk, I love to laugh. So I'm Asian. Yeah, so it's so yeah. good. We're yeah, you just have a great hair. Great hair, Asian. Uh, 
question. Yeah, exactly. Well, Tan, you are the director of our preschool, but that doesn't really tell your whole story. So tell us a little bit more about you. Um, I grew up in a Muslim country in Indonesia all my life. I came here in 2001 to study um, theology at Calvin Seminary. So both my husband and I, we got our master's degree from Calvin Seminary, and I focus in Christian education. And uh, we came to San Diego six years ago to start a church. So my husband is also a pastor for um, Evangelical Indonesian Church in San Diego. We started 15 people, and now it's grown to 60 we mainly focus on um, the immigrant that come from Indonesia and settle down here and reach out, especially also for the young adult that come to UCSD. So a lot of parents, they feel secure knowing there are church family here where their kids can go and the parents can get connected to us. And your son, Louis, he's 12. He's 12. I name him um, Louis after C.S. Lewis because he almost came out when he was 25 weeks. So it, he made me backrest for th three weeks. So I read C.S. Lewis the entire series for three weeks. And then after that, hmm, why don't I just name you Lewis? <laughs> well, so tell us about uh, Eastgate Christian School. It's 40 years old. Uh, this was the road that connected La Jolla to Hewlett Packard, basically, uh, in Rancho Bernardo. And so a church was planted here, and the preschool was started here. 40 plus years ago. And so tell us about the preschool, sort of unique in the way it operates. Yes, I'm, you know, when I came here, I did not know, I thought I, I came to, um, you know, uh, where Asian people gather, you know, <laughs> because 40% of the population is Chinese and then 30% India. Uh, the, re the remainings are Japanese, Eastern Europeans, you know, um, there are seven languages that the kids are exposed to, which is amazing. So I never know that my Chinese, somehow I learned back in 97. I did not use it when I came to Michigan or w neither when I came to Texas. Only find out, you know, only 20 years later, and then I found out that my Chinese is, you know, need to be put in good use, which is in this place. <laughs> so um, the school is in very, strategic location, close to UCSD, close to uh, several pharmaceutical company around here. So the demographic are apparent that were, that came here. There are engineers, they are smart people. But you know what, they send their kids here. They trust it because they hear from other parents that we offer not only play-based but also academic preschool. We offer excellence. So our teachers, I give, you know, Kudos to them. You know, we owe it to our teacher. They're very dedicated. They, they love, you know, they are easy to talk to. So our parents trusted them. So it's very unique. Um, not many that came to our school are Christian. They are, they're non-Christian. But they ask, you know, how many, how many religion, how much religion do you offer to them? And I said, every day. Every day. It says on the, you know, when you come in, it says Eastgate Christian School. So that's what we do. So, and they don't mind. They ask, do you guys pray? Oh, yes. Every meal, do you pray? When their kids, you know, sick, we pray for them. Things like that. Their parents say they came to their teacher and tell, like, can you pray for my mom? This young little friend. But the seed of the gospel is planted right there. Well, so, 
What are you What are you seeing happen in the school, and how can we pray for the school for the teachers? Please pray for for wisdom and patience for our teachers, as this job, you know, it might seem easy, but it's not. It requires heart. It requires dedications, and it requires patience and patience and patience. Right? Mom come with three kids, and they were screaming all over the place, but when they see their teachers, they were like tame. And the parent asked, how did you do that? I don't know. <laughs> I think it's just the atmosphere. You know, when they come here, they're just being, oh, this is my second family. And they feel right at home. Please pray for our teachers to have a strong faith, dedicated, you know, and have that, make that connection with our parents. What I love about what Tan and her staff uh, do is that they treat these parents and these families with great love and respect. And we tell them up front, as she said, this is a Christ-centered preschool. We don't apologize for that. But the bridge that builds the trust and the credibility with the families is excellence. And so Tan and her team, Super Tan and her team, <coughs> they, they bring so much excellence uh, to what they do and so much love. Uh, that it builds a bridge of credibility, and they earn the right to be heard so that, they, that none of the children of the families feel like something's being forced on them. They feel like doors are being opened for them. And so about four times a year, I get to come and speak to all the, the kids and, and the, uh, the parents. And it's fun to see, like any parent, they love their children. They love to see their children succeed. And what we love is that someday some of those children are going to say, as they run a company or a country, because they're, they're that smart and they're getting such a great start, that they will say, you know, uh, really, the thing that has changed my life the most is understanding that there's a God who loves me, and I know his name, and he knows my name. And, and th that's the kind of testimony that, that Tan and her team uh, are planting by way of seeds of love and hope and education, based on excellent education. Why? Because as the Apostle Paul said, my prayer for you, as he wrote to the Philippians, is that you would have still more love, a love that is full of knowledge and every wise insight, and that you would recognize always the highest and the best. That's Philippians 1, 9 through 11. That's a prayer that we embody in this school, and that Tan specifically embodies uh, as the director. But, but we should say her title should be director theologian, because that's really what she does, pastor, director, theologian. And that's how the teachers function, too, is prayerful, careful, uh, thoughtful, uh, committed teachers of, of uh, small children but small children who are loved by a big God. So I want to pray for them right now. So Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for Tan, for Calvin, for Lewis, for the family that they are. We pray that you give them everything they need to thrive and flourish as a family. I thank you for the, the church that they have planted. I thank you for the, the, um, the fact that Tan has had and has, uh, will have such a significant impact on this church and, and the mission of East Gates Christian School. So we pray uh, sheer dogged endurance for her and the staff uh, we pray that they would be encouraged and refreshed by what they see coming out of their uh, good and hard work. We thank you for Tan responding to this high and holy calling uh, to be the director of this, of this preschool and, and really a pastor among these people. And so we thank you for her and commit her to you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Tan. Well, <clears throat> we are delighted uh, to continue our series uh, in wisdom, wisdom in bite-sized pieces, by welcoming Steve Haas back. Uh, 
uh, many of you who have come up to me said we really, really always look forward to Steve being with us, and so thank you for coming back again this summer. Uh, you're going to hear from him in just a few moments. We're going to receive the offering of the morning first. Uh, the question is, why, why do we do an offering? So many people give money to this church to support it and the mission of this church in so many ways. We don't need to collect it on, on Sunday morning anymore. We continue to do an offering because it reminds us that the primary focus of the offering is us offering ourselves to God. And so it becomes so much part of the, the, the architecture of who we are. That whether you bring tithe or offerings with you today uh, is secondary to the fact that you bring you here today. And so as, as, the, as the worship band leads us as we worship the Lord, uh, offer yourself to Him. Uh, if you're visiting with us, don't feel pressure to put money in, in, in the plate, but you open your heart to the Lord maybe for the first time today. Uh, or yet again, as you say, Lord, here I am. I belong to you. Uh, I want to know you. I am your beloved. Uh, and so, Lord Jesus, we thank you for that gift you've given us, the gift of life in you. The fact that you welcome us with open arms, inviting us to belong to you and, and to come to understand what it means to walk with you, to grow with you, and to be part of what you're doing to redeem this world. Uh, bless each one here, Lord, today. Whatever we bring uh, by way of needs for healing, for insight, for understanding, for comfort, for challenge. I pray that you'd meet us there, Lord, as we offer ourselves to you. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my life, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground. Thank you, worship band. Always awesome to be able to be with all of you. Uh, it's one of these things I was saying to the first service, you know, you, you try and be somewhat spiritual when someone invites you to a church. So it's always just kind of like, well, yeah, I'll pray about it. Mine kind of when I'm invited to La Jolla, it's kind of, well, I'll, yes, you'll pray about it. Yes, I'd like to come back. 
I just love this body. I love the people that I've gotten to know here, the uh, things that we've been able to do together. Uh, this is an incredible place. Those of you who call it home know that. Those of you who are here for the first time, uh, you'll get to know that. And it's, uh, it's a joy to be with you. Every time I'm here, Steve gives me a word that I'm supposed to speak on. I speak on, I work for World Vision. So the things that we talk about are usually natural disasters, different issues of poverty, disease, uh, pestilence, tragedy. And uh, so then I get these, I, we would like you to speak on joy. Last year, speak on joy. I don't have anything on joy. Well, speak on it, find it. You go find joy, you know. This year, speak on friendship. Okay, Steve, speak on friendship. Uh, the wisdom of friendship. And so each year, it's just a wonderful challenge to be able to think through what might the scriptures say about friendship. Now, as I launch into friendship this morning, I need to make a, an aside that will seem as though I have kind of lost it, and I'm kind of going off into another place. And I just am going to ask for your patience. Uh, we need this. What I'm about to say, you're going to need to understand some of the things I'm going to say later on. So can, can I do that? Can I kind of make it a giant aside? Are we okay? I'm seeing nodding heads. I'm seeing some people go, move the lunch reservation back. I bet uh, this could go long. At World Vision, at World Vision, this is also going to sound like just a bold brand positive. Hang with me. At World Vision, the organization I represent, we don't believe that poverty can be pigeonholed as simply an economic reality. We don't. The result of bad choices, someone's lack of resources, faulty governance, incompetent people, or the man, you know, it's always the man, whoever the man is. This isn't to say that these aren't contributing factors. Just like in China, someone might say, well, I heard this is true about China. Yeah, it's probably true about China, somewhere, just so big. Those could be true about poverty, somewhere, so big. At World Vision, our belief is that poverty is about broken relationships. It's about a broken relationship with God, usually our primary relationship. It's about a broken relationship with our neighbor. Often, these two are connected, by the way. Broken relationship with our neighbor. That broken relationship, by the way, could be a broken relationship with a Safeway clerk to your BFF, your best friend forever. Could be a broken relationship. There's a broken relationship with ourselves. If you needed an example of that, you opened up your newspaper today and it inaccurately said that there was a shooting that went on in our nation. There were two shootings, mass shootings, two. There was a an innumerable number of suicides. You look across the San Diego region, there's broken people who are struggling with themselves. And then, of course, there's a broken relationship, not just here, not just here, not just here, but there's also a broken relationship with the earth, our planet, the literal dumping ground for our brokenness. We call this at World Vision a biblical worldview. That's what the scripture calls it, a biblical worldview. What we also call it is an empowered worldview. In our work at World Vision, poverty isn't just about them. It's about us. It's about you. It's about me. It's about the people I serve and the people that serve me. I got poverty. You got poverty. I need relationships. I need restored relationships. You need those. We all got poverty. We're all managing some level of brokenness. And by the way, we all crave, crave friendship. We crave it. 
Now, why am I making this a minor aside? And again, some of you are looking at your watches going, whoa, if that's the aside, what's the message, pal? God's purpose for you and I is that the world, in, in the world, is to become a community of people that are rightly connected or in right relationship with the Father. That that fissure, that brokenness is to be restored. And it's not just that we're to be in fellowship with him. Healing is about healing that relationship. God wants to restore his creation and what that means in terms of a right connection with each other. Relationships, friendships with one another that generates an overwhelming dynamic when God infuses it with himself. Now, I actually saw a human example of this about two weeks ago when I was in the Grand Tetons. I was invited to speak at a church there, and they, they said, by the way, stay on. The honorarium in this case was stay on. We have a guest house and a car. Another one of those times in which I hardly prayed. I just said, yes, I need to go do that. And someone gave my son and daughter and I three tickets to go see the Grand Teton Music Festival. Has, I don't know if anyone has ever uh, relished this opportunity, but this is when artists from across the country, the great philharmonic orchestras, all converge to vacation and play in the Grand Tetons. It's unbelievable, the music that comes out of the Grand Tetons on these weekend events, these weekend soirees in which they bring in some superstar to play. On our weekend, we had the great artist Elisa Wellerstein who plays the cello. I didn't think someone could make a cello do what she did to this cello. And so she, by the way, she's married to the conductor. And so as these two people are making music, I'm beginning to see what it looks like when someone really knows the conductor and is really playing in the cadence of the conductor who knows the music she's going to play and the music she's supposed to play. And she's so confident of her music and what the conductor is doing in terms of leading that all I can do is concentrate on the artist and the conductor. That vertical relationship. And it's like romance. And then the orchestra starts playing it. Oh my. I'm in it. I want to be in the orchestra. I don't play an instrument. I'll turn sheet music. I'll do anything. I just want to be part of the unity that is happening. And beautiful music is coming out of this room. And anyone standing on the outside who could afford the ticket, we were given ours. Standing on the outside, wanting to get in, would want to get in. Because the music was so beautiful. Scripture speaks of both a solitary vertical axis, something I decide to do. I want to build a relationship with you. It's also a horizontal relationship. I want to build a relationship with the community in which I'm involved. Oswald Chambers, in his wonderful book, Utmost for His Highest, says this. We're not here to develop a spiritual life of our own or to enjoy a quiet spiritual retreat. We're here to have a full realization of Jesus Christ for the purpose of building his body. So I digress, okay? That's my aside. We're going to need that later. And now for the morning text, Mark, John 15, 12 through 17. John 15, 12 through 17. A little bit of background. Uh, Jesus has been engaging in a life-on-life -life relationship with a group of 12 men. We also know that there's a larger fellowship of men and women who are also kind of listening in, being a part of this thing. It's these 12 people that are, he's traveling with that he's instructing life on life. It's the custom that the rabbi would give an example, 
And then he expects his followers to mimic him, to do exactly as he has done, and then to practice it over and over and over again, kind of a, kind of a see and do. And so this passage comes some three years into this see and do process of disciple making. This particular lesson, lesson is part of an ongoing training that comes with this message that has later been called the Upper Room Discourse. And they call that the Upper Room Discourse, wait for it, because it was actually done in an upper room. So, Upper Room Discourse, here it comes. I can see you're awake. This is good. John 15, 12 through 17, stay with me because this passage is powerful. You're going to want to revisit this, like a lot. My command is this, he says. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay one's life down for one's friends. You're my friends, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Here, Jesus is giving the hint that not only is the discipleship process, in, in a sense, lined up with him, with his 12 followers, he's gotten dictation. He's gotten mentoring. He's now passing it on. He's expecting them to do the same. You did not choose me, but I chose you and anointed you, appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Again, I got it. I'm giving it to you. Now you're supposed to go do it. Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. He says it again. Love one another. Again, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I made known to you. You didn't choose me. I chose you, and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. This, by the way, is a passage about intimacy. Intimacy. Jesus calls his disciples friends because of an exchange that he's been given, and then he passes on these life essentials to those that his father has given him. And it just, I don't know, as I was trying to prepare for this message, I really felt like this was the scripture I was supposed to unpack, but I found myself in one of those places going, what am I supposed to do with this? Many directions one could take. These were the questions that started passing through my mind. How did Jesus do that? This passing on part. How did he do that? What did the disciples see, really? What was their experience in walking with Jesus? Are there things from watching Jesus that the disciples then did? And what was he emphasizing? What was the things that they were really supposed to do? What was Jesus doing with his disciples that he wanted them to emulate? And then how are we supposed to build relationships in that same manner? What does the scripture say? And that's where I've been spending most of my time. And there are numerous examples I found but because of the constraints of time, always the constraints of time, I'm only going to share three. But I'm really hoping that this is a challenge to every one of you, that you'll go away this week and ask that exact same question that I asked. Jesus, you're my mentor. I'm your disciple. What are you doing? What do you want me to follow? How is it that you did it? Now help me do it like you do it. Jesus does inquisitive, number one. Jesus does inquisitive. A hallmark of, of building friendships with those around him, 
a way of unpacking people, I've found, in terms of trying to understand the narrative of someone's life, Jesus would ask questions. This wasn't manipulation. This wasn't control. This was simply a deep dive into someone's life, coming alongside them so that there would be mutual discovery. And it's clear, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels, you'll see that for Jesus, this was standard practice. There was no boundary socially, ethnically, racially. There was no divide. He did this with every single person, including people that would be termed the enemy, Samaritans in this case, if you were Jewish. Equally clear was that these pertinent questions would, would begin to discover people. People would discover who they were. And in some cases, they discovered whose they were. Credible. Jesus questions. Perhaps you remember this one, Mark 5. There's a question of identity. Jesus unpacks a crazed man whose mental illness has made him so that he's beginning to self-mutilate. You know, we think of cutting. This guy is, 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 is lacerating himself. He's deranged. He's isolated in a graveyard because he can't even be around society anymore. And Jesus is bold enough to ask a question. Think of this as a question if you are facing an individual like this. What's your name? My name is Legion because there are many. An honest answer. And a man tormented by all these beings that are, have taken him over. Jesus frees him. Or John 4, questions about awareness. Jesus is with a woman at a well. Will you give me a drink? Keep in mind who he's talking to, a woman you don't talk to because she's of another group that you, is anathema to you. They, you don't talk to people like this. Jesus asks her for a drink. Pretty soon, he's talking about living water. You will never thirst again when you have the water that I provide you. And what does she say when she goes back to the village that afternoon? I met a man who told me everything I ever did. She got unpacked. Perhaps it's Luke 7, 34 through 50, a question on restoring sight. Jesus is at a party hosted by a Pharisee by the name of Simon, and a woman comes in, and it's pretty clear what this woman does for business, and she takes this very expensive perfume, and she pours it on his feet, and then she mops up the mess on her hands and feet. We know that because she's at his feet. She mops it up with her hair, and this is not what you do. This is not good social etiquette. And Jesus turns to Simon the Pharisee, and he asks a question. Simon, do you see this woman? Because, of course, Simon doesn't see a woman. You don't recoil at a woman. You might, if you perceive this person to be immoral, unworthy, outside your tribe, your race, your ethnic group, your national group, the question would be easy to answer. Certainly, that is a woman, unless I have somehow laminated her with a way of viewing her. And then I don't see a woman. I see something less than me or the less than the way it should be. And what does Jesus say to her? Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Now you, go in peace. Questions to unlock people, questions that become opportunities for friendship. Um, and you and I are called into this too. I, uh, uh, for, many, for a number of years, I worked in Charlotte, North Carolina with businessmen and started a number of small group community Bible studies, what we could call it. 
uh, in which businessmen would be there. And some of these men really got into the fellowship that we were having, so much so they began to kind of talk to their friends that they needed to meet Steve, as though that was some sort of magic that would happen. And so their friends were, for the, for the most part, somewhat uh, uh, put off by wanting to meet with Steve. And so the more these friends began to push to meet with Steve, the more they would push back. Until finally I got a call from a guy named Gibb, and Gibb said, I'm supposed to meet with you for lunch. And I kind of figured out in the midst of our conversation, this was to get his friend Tom off his back. If I can just do lunch with Steve one time, I can tell Tom, and then Tom will never have to bother me again. In the midst of that conversation over lunch, it became pretty simple as to what we would talk about. Why do you think Tom wants you to meet with me? Well, I'm pretty sure he wants you to tell me about Jesus. Well, what do you know about Jesus? Well, I don't know much about Jesus. Are you ever curious? Yeah. And so we talked about Jesus. It got to a point in the conversation in which my question to Gib was, literally, all that you're building a relationship with Jesus is taking all that you know of yourself. I don't know how much you know of yourself. And placing all of that weight on all that you know of Jesus. And then trusting him with your life like that. Letting him in on your decision making. Let him be your Lord and leader. That's all it is. All the weight of yourself on all that you know of Jesus. How much do you know of Jesus? I said to Gib. This much? He looked at me like, no. This much? No. This much? No. And then I'm feeling kind of stupid. Because I'm in this restaurant. There are a lot of people around. And I'm just kind of like, why are we doing this? This is an empty exercise. You're not really interested in what I want to share with you. And frankly, I'm not going to sit here and keep, you know, how, how much more micro. I mean, how, what is this? So I do what you shouldn't do, but I did it anyway. I kind of rolled my eyes. I'm like, jeez, you know. My eyes come back to Gib, and he's sitting there like this. I, I trust Jesus this much. So much I trust him. I said, that's enough. You can put the weight of your life on Jesus that much, and he will hold the weight of your life. He won't keep it there. You'll start understanding more about who he is, the love he has for you, the grace he has for you, the way he wants to forgive you and lead you and take you on adventures. It will grow, but he'll take that much. Are you willing to give him that much? And in that lunch, he gave him that much. And a new life was started with Christ. We ask questions. We ask questions. And when we ask questions, changes happen. In building friendships, Jesus asked questions. If, we, if he regularly asked questions of those he was around, can we also surmise that maybe because he loves us and he lives and he wants to do things with us, that he wants us to ask questions too as his disciples? Questions. It's obvious watching the master the way Jesus demands, I'm supposed to listen. I'm supposed to make eye contact. I'm supposed to get on another's level. I'm to ask questions. And this requires practice. And true confessions, I'm not really good at this. I need a lot of work. It's taken me a lifetime of spotty progress in my attempts to master this inquisitive art because I so easy jump to conclusions. I have this overwhelming need to drop an object lesson, what I call carpet bombing. I think I know the truth, and I know what you need. And so I'm going to carpet bomb you with the truth because I know you want it. I have another word for that. Inquisition. It's not inquisitive. 
It's inquisition. Inquisition is easy. While you speak, I can half attend and I can begin to frame my answer in such a way that I'm going to give you what you need. I only have to focus on little bits and pieces of what you say as I position myself to interject my opinion, my needed opinion. But that's just me. What about you? Inquisitive or inquisition? In our question of building friendships, are we inquisitive? Making discoveries about the people around us. Jesus didn't do, do inquisitive. He also did diversity. Years ago, I, it was considered culturally astute to describe oneself as colorblind. Do you remember ever saying that? I'm colorblind in terms of issues of race. It was as though admittance or ignorance of someone's blindness was in some way to show that, you know, I've got some cultural seasoning. I'm, I'm a little bit mature here. I don't see anybody. I don't see any colors anywhere. Unfortunately, the curious part about this whole colorblindness thing is it flies literally in the face of what Jesus actually values and sought for us to value too. Truth is, you can say many things about the creative nature of God, and colorblindness will never be one of them. Jesus, God, is not colorblind. He's color-rich. And it isn't just race diversity. He seems to treasure cultural diversity, ethnic diversity, personal diversity. Is it any wonder that the same creator fashions no fingerprint the same? No duplicate face or body type. No identical personality or emotional makeup. No creature the same. You don't believe me? Go to the San Diego Zoo. And, and watch the animals and the people. It's so different. Everybody is different. Look at what's going on around us. This lean toward diversity shouldn't come as a surprise. Have you ever discovered this great God of ours, this creator, is the same one who envisioned the monstrosity of the blue well and also the intricate tapestry of a spider's web? Did you ever look at the brilliant colors of the fall trees, the acceleration of the cheetah, the glacial speed of the sloth, the physical dexterity of Steph Curry when he is on? Yo-Yo Ma, when he is on. Celine Dion, whenever she wants to sing. This creator is the same one that created the unique and complex creation that's called you. Unique, original, one of a kind. At your birth, God didn't need to break a mold. He handcrafted you. There will never be anyone like you, ever. What was it Lincoln said? We're all born original. Many of us die copies. You don't need to be a copy. God made you for a purpose. A cultural expert told me there are 7.5 billion unique cultures roaming our world today. Think about it. It's breathtaking. And I can hear the question. Steve, is this another aside? I mean, we seem to be going on a tangent here. Why is this important when you're talking about friendship? In John 15, as we were sharing earlier, and we could have gone to John 12 as well this, uh, to start our, pa our passage off. Jesus states that with his death, when he is lifted up, he will draw all men unto himself. In the midst of all this diversity, Jesus would offer a way to connect with each one of us, open an opportunity to experience relationship, a friendship with any one of us. But if you were to go further in John, John 17, in what is called the high priestly prayer, Jesus makes a request of his father that every one of his followers would experience oneness, that they would be one. 
followers in friendship with one another in the same way that the Father expresses and has oneness with Jesus. Think orchestra. Think the theme I talked about when I began. Our lives are not just drawn uniquely into a friendship with God, but in spite of the diversity, we're brought into union with each other for the purpose of magnifying the glory of God himself, that everyone in the world would know there's a conductor and that he's leading beautiful music and that you're just not a page turner. You're actually in the orchestra. There are signs of this throughout Scripture, by the way. Matthew 12, 46 through 49 was a wonderful passage to discover. Jesus seeks to balance his believer's understanding of how relationships now relate because there's a new kingdom that Jesus is bringing into his presence. It's a funny story. Mom's outside with brothers and sisters, and they're kind of needing him to kind of finish up and come on out. Kind of how Jan feels with Steve after some services. You know, you need to come out. You need to just kind of leave the church. What does Jesus say? Who is my mother? Who's my brothers? Pointing to the disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, my mother. You're my family. We're the ones who get together. We're the community. For me, this has been one of the main benefits of foreign travel. I get to go to places where the culture is completely different. They don't speak my language. The foods are different. I mean, I don't understand anything about where I am except we are all watching the same conductor. And it is beautiful music that comes together when we worship or just work together. Amazing what happens. I was, I've been so taken up with this thought, this process, that when my kids were small, we actually took pictures of our brothers and sisters in Christ that we had met around the world, and we put them and interspaced them with pictures of our family. It wasn't until our oldest son was about nine years old, you know, he came up with the kind of the awkward question, Uncle Henrik, is he really a member of our family? He doesn't look anything like us. Yeah. He's a member of our family. We got the, we got the most glorious, biggest family. It's beautiful. And why is this so important? When we make friendships in this way, it points not only to the one that makes this union possible between he and I, it also makes this union possible for me with everyone else. And it's so diverse. That's what's so special about it. Because he makes beautiful music out of all of that diversity. And he's the only one that can. We see a glimpse of this if we were reading in Revelation 7, 9, it says this, And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And if this is our end, if this is where we're going, then what does it mean for us as his followers to begin to construct the platform by which we will be doing this on into eternity? Jesus does inquisitive. Jesus does diversity. Let me share one last one. Jesus does shared adventures. Jesus was constantly calling people into a shared adventure with himself. In the earliest phase of Jesus' earthly ministry, 
you see him questioning some of John's disciples who are kind of stalking him as he's walking. John's giving him a little bit of, okay, you can go do that. And so they're just watching, which leads to Jesus' question. What are you looking for? It's a good question. Maybe he's asking that of you today. What are you looking for? Their answer is, teacher, where are you staying? To which Jesus says, come and see. Come on. Come and watch. The feeding of four or five thousands, Jesus doesn't go out and feed them himself. He blessed the meal, but who delivered it? Come into my shared adventure. You guys deliver it. And oh, by the way, collect the leftover. We'll want to number that too. The marriage feast at Cana, I find the most interesting. It's not really anything that, who are the people that he invites to share in the particular miracle? It's two guys standing in bow ties on the edge of the room waiting to be called into service. He gets wine stewards. By the way, can you go get the stuff that we wash our hands and feet with, and can you just bring it over here? I have need of more wine. Oh, this should be good. Who sees it? Two wine stewards. The least people in the room. It's his first miracle. To allow the celebration to continue. Calling his disciples, Matthew at a tax collector table, Peter out fishing, James and John, his partners, Andrew with his brother Nathaniel, the demon-possessed man in Mark 5, the blind in Mark 10, the lepers in Luke 17, I could go on. Jesus' friendships were molded by shared adventures. And this is still true today. For me, this aspect of friendship is probably one of the most electric parts of being a friendship in this particular kingdom exercise. It's in my own walk with Christ. This is the stuff I often tell stories about. 1978, I'm a college student. I'm a sophomore in college, and things are really looking up for me, and I get a call from a guy named Earl Palmer to come out and be a youth leader at a church in the Philippines. There was no reason why I would say yes. I had finally made it to the University of Kansas track team. I had grades that were now 4.0, and it was pretty steady. I was getting that. I was dating a cheerleader. Life was sweet. And suddenly, I'm getting this call to travel on this thing called the Road Less Traveled. And I don't even know why I said yes. There's no reason why you would say yes. But I said yes. And like the poem says, it's made all the difference. This church... 36 years ago, Steve and Jan were at another church, and they would invite me from Fuller Seminary to come and speak at junior high retreats on Catalina Island. And we had the great opportunity of watching junior hires' lives transform by doing a shared adventure together. He introduced me to Sean Parr. Sean, in the midst of a breakfast, wanted to understand the HIV-AIDS issue because he heard it was really ramping in Africa. And so I just did what I heard my mentor do. Come and see. Why don't you travel with me? So he grabbed Neil, his partner, and they came to Africa, and they got destroyed by what they saw, what they experienced. And then he came back and worked with World Vision to create a way to advocate on the issue of HIV and AIDS that literally changed the world for, and I mean this not to just inflate a number, tens of thousands of college students across the country. Shared adventure. We got to know each other. Our friendship was built. Phil Jemmett. See you, Phil, in the back. 14 years ago, I used to have a heart for Malawi. I'd like to do something in Malawi. So we do a little shared adventure trip and kind of get destroyed. Kind of have to do something about that. What can we do? Let's just figure out what you can bring, what I can bring, and why Malawi takes shape. Tens of thousands of people's lives have been transformed 
because of a shared adventure, being invited in. World Vision Sam Camelation, an old evangelist with us, used to say this, you can sum up the heart of the gospel with four words, you, me, let's go. The gospel, you, me, let's go. Shared adventures. Jesus invites through his people seeking others into shared adventures as we become his troubadours, as we become his invitational hosts. And as his disciples, when we say yes to these invitations, we find we get the honor of offering other people into adventures that God has called us into. So if that's true, and if that's so wonderful, why don't we do that more often? What's holding us back? Risk aversion? Fear of the unknown? I've already got a full agenda? I found one that kills a lot of churches because I do speak in a lot of churches. There's one that really is bad. Um, once I call it out, I think you'll see it from here on out. It's a subtle heresy that is constructed and it, it creates an impediment to making or keeping friends. The best title I've ever heard of this dysfunctional, destructive pattern is believe, behave, belong. It's hard to pick out, but once I kind of share what this is, you're going to start spotting it out. Before you can truly be our friend, join the fellowship, you need to believe something. And you can see it in churches across the country, by the way. The initial conversation is usually about conversion. We're going to quickly get to the conversion part. We can just get to that soon. Because if you believe, then the progression will begin. This will lead to a kind of behavior transformation. You'll behave. You'll act more according to our standards. And, and we'll start monitoring that. We'll actually be assured of that because we're going to see it. You're going to start volunteering for the children's church. You're going to be a parking attendant. You're going to lead a youth group. You're going to be in the nursery. You're not going to be so sour. You're going to clean up your addiction. You're going to start looking and acting right. And there's nothing wrong with looking and acting right. But the progression's wrong. Then you can belong to our community of the redeemed. Oh, praise Jesus. We finally have the community. Oh, the beauty of the friendship circle. But in the life of the rabbi Jesus, the one that you and I have been invited to follow and to mimic, it appears that the order is completely reversed. When it comes to the Jesus way, the progression is first, belong. As in the inviting of others in as friends, so we show uncommon grace in the way in which we were invited in as friends when we probably least deserved it. It's one of the reasons I love coming back here. It's all about coming and belong. Just come and join us. This is for you. And that naturally progresses if you spend enough time in this fellowship embrace and that with his followers, you're going to find yourself believing that the dream of being loved and accepted is actually true. You can come to a place in which they even know what I always did or did. And they still love me. I belong. You believe that there's a God who loves you, that you can be forgiven, that real friendships can be formed, and that in this fellowship there are people that care, that your life has a purpose, that there's a mission that you've been called into, and that you were made for impact. You were made to play in the orchestra. And if you believe that, if you believe that, you begin to walk into that belief and the dysfunction, the self-centered behaviors start losing their allure. Your tastes begin to change. Your attitude tunes up. Your heart begins to open. Your horizons begin to broaden. Your behavior becomes strangely transformed. 
you experience a higher calling. We heard about C.S. Lewis uh, calling somebody Lewis. C.S. Lewis would have called this higher up, closer in. You just start finding yourself higher up, closer in. Well, who are you modeling your friendships after? Which mentor are you mimicking? By the way, who are you mentoring? Who are you becoming a friend to? Maybe another way of saying that. What's the nature of that friendship? Are you or I seeking to understand? Are we carpet bombing inquisition or are we actually inquisitive? I don't know you. I've known you for years, but I don't know you. You're a unique being, hand-created by God, hand-crafted by God. I need to ask questions. I need to understand. How do we, how do we celebrate God's grand design in the people that we're meeting? And it could be closest to us. Remaining open to those things that are different while maintaining allegiance to this great conductor Christ. Have you and I been invited to build a friendship in a shared adventure? And if we have, are we inviting others into that shared adventure with us? And so I guess I'd leave this morning with how are you positioning yourself? I've been here the last three days. I went down to Mission Beach and traveled on the boardwalk. A lot of beautiful. I come down to Southern California, it's all beautiful. Um, it's not all different from Tacoma. And there's just a lot of lostness. It's dressed up. But there's a lot of fissures and brokenness. And there's a world that's desperate for friendship. Desperate. Sam Shoemaker, when he recognized that, wrote a poem. I'm just going to read the first part of the poem. But he decided where to position himself, and maybe as we leave today as a challenge, it may be the place you position yourself as well. He calls it, I stand at the door. I stand at the door. I neither go far, too far in nor too, stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It's the door through which people walk when they find God. There's no use my going way inside and staying there when many are still outside and they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is. And all that so many ever find is only the wall where the door ought to be. They creep along the wall like blind people with outstretched and groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing there must be a door. Yet they never find it. So I stand near the door. Where are you standing today? Maybe you're, actually, you've come in today. How you got here, I don't know. But your hands are on the wall. And you're saying, there's something inside me that just sounds like an orchestra I really want to hear. If only I could find the door that would allow me in. If that's you, I need to tell you, Jesus is the door. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I have a way to this kind of relationship. And it begins with starting a relationship with me. All it is is opening your heart to me, trusting all that you know of yourself to all that you know of him. Some of you, if you already know and have that relationship with Christ, perhaps it's challenging yourself today to say, who do I know as a friend that maybe I need to listen to? 
I need to be open. They're quite different than me. And maybe that's what's put you off. But maybe God created them in certain ways, and I need to listen different. I need to hear what they're going through, who they are, what they're experiencing. And while I remain united with the conductor, I invite them into the music that we're playing and just coming alongside them in joining in an adventure that you and I have been called into. Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity to share with this congregation of saints. Father, the great thing about this church is there's so many adventures going on in this one room that you've called people into. Help us to value this to such an extent that we can't imagine we would allow the world to pass by without joining our orchestra, to listen to the divine direction of a conductor, and to make music that the world is so desperate to hear. Again, Father, thank you for the opportunity to share this morning. Now take this challenge, me and them. Take this challenge and make it resident in our hearts as we live out the dictums and the, the example that, that you've so well laid for us in Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Uh, with those who are going to serve communion, come forward right now. We're going to uh, celebrate Holy Communion. The Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, different ways of describing the same thing, uh, that on the night that Jesus gathered those disciples together, uh, this is in that passage that Steve was just talking about, a final meal, he washes their feet, he serves them, and then, as Steve said, he said, you know, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. And then he leads them through this reflection of what is going to happen, how he's going to lay his life down, how they can abide in him. Uh, like the vine, and out of that vine, the branches bear fruit. And so then he, he takes some bread. Uh, this is like matzah. This is gluten-free matzah. But basically, he took some unleavened bread and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And, and, and by saying in remembrance of me, it's not just looking back on something that, oh, gee, that was wonderful long ago. It's recognizing as in remembering, he's right here with me. And so this is for us to remember him, to respond to this invitation, to be his friend. And then he, Jesus took the cup, and he blessed his cup of, of wine. This is unfermented grape juice. And he said, this is the new covenant, the new relationship made possible through my sacrifice for you. This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, remembering as in doing this, participating in the ongoing work of God in us, that God calls us to be friends and with Him to serve His purposes in the world. That's an incredible honor and privilege. I tell you, the best part about being friends uh, starts with just getting to know each other face-to-face, -face. and then as you discover your common bond in Christ, looking up at Him together. But really, the, the high point of friendship is when shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder we look out into the world and we say, where do you think God is calling us to go? Uh, so whether it's Malawi, uh, whether it's Mexico, whether it's in your neighborhood, the idea that you are part of a community of friends who get to remember who we belong to and what we're 
being created to do and be as we walk with God in a world that is hungry for the things alone that he can provide. And the way he provides them is through us. So remember that. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've given us this reminder that you are in us by faith. Your Holy Spirit enlivens us, empowers us, forgives us of sin, cleanses us of unrighteousness, reconciles us to you, to ourselves, to one another, uh, to the world that you've created. And so, Lord, as we come before you today and receive uh, this Holy Communion, this Eucharist, this supper of faith, that we would remember that we are your beloved and that, Lord, we would be renewed and uh, revived and refreshed in the deep knowledge of your abiding love for us and your abiding presence in us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, if the, the people serving communion would take the, um, the bread and the cup, and what will happen is when you come forward, wherever you are, go closest to where they are, uh, <clears throat> you will hear them say, this is Christ's body given for you. Take some of this uh, matzah and dip it in the, in the cup. This is Jesus' blood shed for you. Uh, dip that in there and then uh, eat that. They come back and, and sit in his presence as we continue to worship him together.
if you're singing that and you're wondering uh, what that means, if you're not feeling that, it is well with your soul when you are walking with God. Your circumstances might look the same. Some of the feelings and the burdens you're bearing might feel the same. But if you're walking with God, it will be well with your soul. And so if you are in a place where you want God to walk with you and you want to walk with Him, re open your heart to Him. Invite Him into your life, and it will be well with your soul. This is what God wants to do. Meet us where we are and take us where we could never go but for Him. And if we can pray for you for anything that concerns you personally or for a person or a situation you're concerned about, go right out the door after the service around the corner. There's a lovely prayer garden, and there'll be people there who will pray with you. You don't even have to tell them what you need prayer for. Just walk up and say, here I am, and they'll pray for you. And if you want to articulate what you need prayer for, they're, they're glad to pray for that too. Also, uh, <clears throat> following the benediction, the final blessing, uh, if any of you want to remain here, uh, we're going to pray for the Agarwal family, Isabel and uh, uh, Anya and Angelica. Oh, here they are right now. <clears throat> they are moving to Taiwan, and uh, they'll be gone for about a year. And we wanted to, they've been a, a wonderful part of our church, a much-loved part of our congregation. And so I want to pray for them right now. So this is Angelica. that, of course, yes, <laughs> sorry, Anya yeah. and Isabel, and so we want to pray for them. Uh, tell us what you are doing. We uh, are blessed to go to Taiwan for this year, the school year. Uh, God has shown us the confidence to go. It's a call that we are feeling, and uh, we are being blessed to be in this congregation, to be with such a devoted people, and it's for us, our desire and our hope that we continue to be together in our prayers. We are one single body of Jesus Christ. That we grow with passion. That when we come here, don't be cold. Because this is the time to be praising and worshiping the Lord. He's in control. But we need to give it all in our praising. Uh, this, our, our youth group has been so blessed by you. You have been such a, look at that smile. You have been just a joy and uh, an inspiration to your peers. So thank you for that blessing. And I pray that you would, that God would lead you to a group uh, of, of other young people who you will be able to bond with and you'll be able to bless them even as they bless you. And you, you're going in good company. Yes. Anything you want to say? happy to be in this church. That says it all. Thank you. Well, I want to pray for them. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this lovely family. We thank you for the, the way that you have worked in them and through them in the years that they've been with us. Uh, we pray uh, as they move to Taiwan and as they re-engage re in, in a church and, and in school and in that community, you would open up doors for them that they would uh, not only be blessed uh, and be confirmed in this choice to move there, but also they'd be a blessing. We pray, Lord, that you do a work in them and a work through them. We pray that uh, two years from now, they would be back here uh, having learned and grown uh, with stories to tell and that we would be able to continue um, the rich and, and wonderful fellowship we've enjoyed with them. Be with them, protect them in every way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your day. And if we can pray for you, go right around into the prayer garden and we'll do that. Thank you.